Good morning. All right, I invite you to I invite you to open up your Bibles. We're going to be in the book of Colossians as we uh, continue our series there. And as you flip to Colossians 1, I want to talk to you about going to the doctor's office. Anybody like going to the doctor? Okay, not too many. Um, <clears throat> I actually had to go to the doctor this week. I really don't like going to the doctor very much. But um, I, I noticed that when you go to the doctor, they do a few things the same way every time you go. When, when you go, they ask you to come in and they ask you to step on the scale. They want you to check your weight. So if you're like me, you kick off your flip-flops and you try to lose that extra one pound and try to get on before, before they weigh you just so you feel a little bit better about yourself. But they want to get your weight uh, then they want to put this little thing around your arm. They want to check your blood pressure. And if you're like me, you feel like you have muscles for once in your life because, you know, it shows you how tight, you know, how tight it gets around. But they check your blood pressure and then they, they check your heart rate. They, they check your, for your pulse and they just get these baseline. You walk in, they take your vital signs. And it's really important that they do that for a couple of different reasons. One, um, if your vital signs are really out of whack when you're there, all of a sudden they're clued in. Something's wrong. We need to ask you some questions. We need to to understand what's going on, what's causing your vital signs to be moving in this way, or they just want to have a baseline. Okay, your vital signs are normal, and when you came in last time, they were normal, and, and now we're going to go from there. So when there is a problem, when you do go in, they have a, a record of how you are. And so it's really important when you go to the doctor's office that you check your vital signs. Well, when it comes to spiritual things, it's really important that we are able to check our vital signs as well. This series that we're doing in Colossians is about being set on the authentic gospel. Are we, are we sure we know what our footing is? Because in the book of Colossians, we're eventually going to get to where Paul talks about the Colossian heresy. He is very complimentary of believers in chapter 1, but he's going to eventually show how there's some beliefs that are creeping into the church that are chipping away at the gospel. And some Jewish legalism is creeping in. And some, some Gentile mysticism is creeping in. And Paul's saying, no, we're going to be focused in. We want to know what we believe. And the reason why this is so important, because there's little stories throughout Scripture, like the one in Luke 13. It's a small little story in Luke 13 where Jesus talks about some people going up to the master's house. And they knock on the door and they say, hey, let us in. And the master says, depart from me. I, I've never known you. They say, no, 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 you, you know us, we, we ate together, we drank together, when you taught in the streets, we were there. And he says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I have no idea who you are. And it's this picture that we don't want to get there and be surprised. We don't want to get there and realize that we based our entire faith on something that was not the authentic gospel. And so as we come to Colossians 1 today, what we want to be focused on in verses 15 through 29, that being set on the gospel is being centered on the person of Christ. And so as we look at these next few verses, we're going to look at what our relationship with Christ is. And so we're going to start in verse 15. In verse 15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God. The invisible God. We have never seen God the Father. We cannot see Him. And it's hard to know something that you have never seen. But God has given us Jesus. And when we know Jesus, we know the Father. John 1.1 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was God. And the word, or the Word was with God. And the Word was God. We believe that Jesus was God. Jesus is God. 
And when we see Jesus, we see all the fullness of who God is. In fact, when the disciples say, hey, can we see the Father? He says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. It is through Jesus that we can understand and know God. And then there's this little phrase that says, He is the firstborn over all creation. And many people have taken that over, over the years of Christianity. have said, see, He was not God, He was man. He was born. But that's not what that word means at all. That does not mean He was the actual first person who was born. It means He has the rank and the status of the firstborn. That He is over us. And so this first thing that we need to understand about Christ is that He is over us. We are under Him. He is our Lord and we are His subjects because He has the rank and the status given to Him as that of the firstborn. In verse 16, it shows that He was not the created. It shows He was the Creator. Verse 16 says, For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Jesus was not just, it was not just there in creation. He was not passive in creation. He was active in creation. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit, they worked together. And through Jesus, God created the earth. He created the heavens. He created all the things that we can see. He created all the things that we can't see. He was an active participant in creation. But then it has this little line that I think is really good for us at this particular time. It says, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. You see, you guys know what time it is. As you drove here, you pass all these colorful little billboards that we place in our, in our, in our fences and in our lawns. It's election season. And we get all tense. We get all bent out of shape in election season. And I think this verse will give us some clarity. See, I'm not telling you not to vote. I believe voting is very important. I'm not telling you not to be driven by values when you vote. I think that's really important to, to research candidates and to know who you're voting for and to take a stand in voting. But ultimately, one day, our candidate is going to win or not win and someone is going to be placed in office. And what this verse tells us is whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, whoever is placed into office is the person that God has put into office. Whoever is elected, whether it was a king of England or whether it's a president of the United States or whether it's a local senator, no one is given authority that Jesus does not give them authority. So what does that mean for us? That means that Jesus is in control. If you look in verse 17, it says, In Him all things hold together. It says, and He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. That means that God is constantly at work in doing. It also means, at the end of verse 16, when it says that all creation was through Him and for Him, it means that God is the end. God is the goal. Jesus is the goal of all creation. That means everything was created to give Him fame, to give Him praise, to give Him worth. Things are done according to His purpose. And so when someone is elected, it is there for Jesus' purpose. If, I were look, if we look back at the annals of church history, you will see that sometimes the church has grown most rapidly and grown most deeply when it has been the most persecuted. People are placed into office because Jesus has them there. It is our job to be respectful and to pray. Because He is ultimately in control. He is over all creation. 
Verse 17 says, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the glue that keeps it going. Jesus did not create and then sit back with an iced tea to watch it. No, He is constantly at work shaping and molding. Verse 18 tells us He is the head of the body, the church. You see, we are pictured in Scripture as the bride of the Christ, a bride of Christ, and He is the groom. And he is our head. We are subject to him. We are submissive to him. It is Jesus that leads the church. It is Jesus that will grow the church. It is Jesus that will advance his kingdom. And he uses us, his subjects, to do it. He is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead. He is the first one who tasted death and came and experienced resurrection. And we know because He did it that we will too do it one day. It says that in everything He might be preeminent. You see, that means that Jesus is ranked number one, that He is the top of our priorities list, but it's not just that He is number one on the list. It means that Jesus is the list. He is the one from whom we get our values and our priorities. Why? Because He is over us. That means He is our Lord. And as our Lord, He has the right to tell us what is important. He has the right to tell us the way that we are going to live our lives. He has the right to tell us what our mission is, what our calling is. He has the right to direct our passions. If you want to be set on the authentic gospel, you realize that Jesus is our Lord and we follow Him. He is over us. He is not just our Lord. We see in verses 19 through 22 that He is for us. Paul says in verse 19, For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. I remind you of 15. He is the image of the invisible God. Everything that God wanted us to know about who God is and what God does, we see in Jesus. All the fullness of God is in Jesus. And why is that important? It's because He is fully man and He is fully God. And as fully man, fully God, as the God-man, only He could accomplish what Paul is going to describe in these next few verses. It says in verse 20, And through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Why did He have to make peace for us? Well, we see this in verse 21. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. We understand what Scripture says about us, that there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who seeks God. There is no one who goes and pursues God. But God wanted there to be peace because of His great love for us, because of His great compassion for us. And so God sent His one and only Son, Jesus, to die for us. And it says in verse 22, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach for Him. How do we go from people who are dead in sins and in transgressions to being holy and blameless? Well, it's because Jesus died for us. And Jesus took in His body our sin, our punishment, our death, and He gave us His life, His righteousness, His holiness, His blamelessness. 
It's the great exchange. And we have to understand that when we are understanding of the gospel, when we are set on it, that we have this understanding that Christ died for us because of his great love for us. He is our Savior. When we look at understanding the authentic gospel, we understand that Jesus is our Lord and he is our Savior. But Paul is still not done. Let's skip down to verse 24. He starts verse 24 with kind of a couple odd statements back to back. The first one says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Now I guarantee you when you send out your Christmas cards this year, this will not be your first line. Paul is writing this from a Roman jail. He's about to undergo trial and execution. But he is writing this because he rejoices in his sufferings. Why would a man possibly rejoice in his sufferings? Well, he tells us. He says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Whoa. What does he mean by that? Does that mean that Christ did not suffer enough? It's not what he means at all. But what he's saying is this. The church still has to advance. The kingdom still has to advance. And it is through blood and sweat and tears that it will continue to advance. And so I, Paul, am continuing in the ministry started by my Lord and Savior who suffered for his bride whom he loved the church. And I will now come in and I will suffer for it gladly because it is something my Savior loves. See, he finishes verse 24 by saying, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. So he gets into 25 for his last thing that he's trying to teach us about Christ. He says, of which I became a minister in the church according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. It was Paul's job to make the word of God fully known amongst the Gentiles. It is now our job to make the word of God fully known amongst those who do not know it yet. And this is what Paul is making known in verse 26. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. And when I hear the word mystery, I lean in. Because when I was a young kid and I heard the word mystery, you know what popped in my mind? (laughs) Scooby-Doo. I have always loved mystery because it's like, oh, are they going to figure it out? Who did it? What's going on? As an adult, I, I love the movie National Treasure. Not because it's a great movie, because there's intrigue. But we read over that word mystery and we just keep going. But that word mystery is something that Paul has to explain. He says, you know what? The way God used to relate to his people was through this thing called the law. And God needed a people who were finite to understand him who was infinite. And they who were fallen had to understand how to relate to a holy God. And so he gave them the law. And the law showed them how to measure up. But they couldn't do it. They couldn't measure up. They continued to fall down. And every time they fall down, they would have to atone for their sins through sacrifice. And the blood of an animal would have to temporarily cover them because Christ had not died yet. And eventually the law got so hard to keep that they put the law aside and they forgot about the law. For long stretches they didn't even know where it was and they fell so deep in their sin that God sent them off into exile. And while they were in exile, Jeremiah and Ezekiel prophesied. He says, I'm going to give you a new covenant. I'm going to give you a better covenant. 
No longer are you going to have to look at each other and talk to each other and try to figure out how to relate to me. No, I'm going to reach inside of you. I'm going to rip out that heart of stone and I'm going to put into you a heart of flesh. I'm going to put my spirit in you and you will know me and you will love me because I will be in you. It's this great mystery that for thousands of years was unfolding. And here in verse 27, he says, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. How was Paul able to continue on and suffer for the gospel? How was he able to go and grow in his faith? It was because Christ was in him brings light to when Jesus says, don't you understand in the book of John, don't you understand that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. There is no one who can get to you. There is no one who can remove you from my hand. And so Paul is able to continue in 28 and 29 and it says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. In verse 25 he says, I want to make the word of God fully known so that in verse 28 we can present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. He's not only our Lord and over us. He's not only our Savior and for us. He is in us and He is with us. And through Him, we are able to continue on, to grow in our faith, to suffer for the church, to give of ourselves. But we skipped over one little verse that I want to go back to now. Colossians 1.23. And the way I wrote Colossians 1.23 in your notes, I wrote it as more of a command. I said to do this, I said to continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. ESV will say do not shift, but I love the power of do not move. And that is our call. We are to continue on our faith. We are to be established and rooted, and we're supposed to be set on the gospel, this hope that we have. But if you go back and read it in your text, and I encourage you to look at your text, the word, verse 23 starts with the word, if. It says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast. You see, I talked about that Colossian heresy. And there's things that are at work chipping away from the gospel, chipping away at the roots of the people who are in the church. And there are people who are falling casually to it. There are people who are being ripped away. And why are they being ripped away? Because they are not set on the gospel. They're not centered on the person of Christ. In fact, as a pastor, it's the scariest thing about the church. That there are people who come in and they look like they have everything all together. They can fit in and they know the cultural norms and signs. They can speak the language. They can talk the talk and make everyone think that they're in. But as a pastor, I don't know who's in. I haven't been given the ability to go, he's in, he's out, you're in, you're out. I, I can't do that. So until we come to a passage like this, all I can do is encourage you to be set on the gospel. And so how can we make sure that we are not counterfeit? How can we make sure that we are set on the gospel by being centered on Christ? Well, if he is in you, he's going to be doing things through you. 
And so I want to give you a couple of ways this morning that you can check your vital signs. That you can check your pulse rate. That you can check your blood pressure. That you can have a baseline to know, hey, am I growing in my faith? Is Christ in me? Is he at work? So I have two things I want to talk to you about this morning. And the first one is I want to see how our lives are producing fruit. We've all eaten fruit, right? At least one time in our lives. You go and you can get an apple, you can get a peach, or you can get some sort of fruit and you can bite into it and instantly you know whether the fruit is good or it's rotten. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul looks at what life looks like without the Spirit and what life looks like with the Spirit. He begins in verse 16 and he, he tells you what life looks like when the Spirit of God is not present and it is not pretty. And as you read through that list, you're going to see evidence of yourself in there. And that is because God is not done with us yet. He is still growing us. He is still perfecting us. He is still sanctifying us. But he gets to 522. He says, for the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I just exhibited self-control by not singing it to you. But we have to get away from this notion is that that is top shelf believers. Because that's not what that means at all. Because if we believe he is our Lord and if we believe he is our Savior, we believe that he is in us. And if Christ is in us, the hope of glory, he will be producing this fruit in our lives. We will be growing in love and joy and patience. And so we have to take a, lot, take a look at the fruit in our lives is the fruit that is produced by our lives, and your life is producing fruit. Is it these? You begin to get your heart rate. You begin to get your blood pressure. What are my vital signs? Am I growing in these things, or am I not? If you're here this morning and you say, man, I, I can see evidence, no matter how small, I can see evidence of growth in these areas. I can see where I love a little bit more than I did last year, or I have a little bit more joy in my life. If you could see where God is growing those things in you, continue to run the race that is marked out for you. It's going to take perseverance. It's not going to get easier. But continue on in that. But you might be here this morning and go, Brian, that's not, that's not resonating with me. Like, I'm not... I can look at my life. I'm not seeing those things. And I would just ask you to stop and ask a couple of questions. The first one is, are you sure that you're set on the gospel? Are you, are you centered on the person of Christ? Do you believe he is your Lord, that he is in control, he is over you, that he gets to set the direction of what's important in your life? Do you believe he's your savior, that he came to this world and died in your place for your sin? Because if you believe those, we believe that he is in you. And if he's in you and you're not seeing these things in your life, you have to stop and go, okay, what's, what's going on? Is there some sin in my life that I need to confess? Is there something I need to make right with the Lord? Is there a relationship in my life that is not going right now and is hindering me? Do I need to talk to my spouse, to a parent? Do I need to talk to a friend or a coworker? What do I need to get right in my life so that God can be free to grow this fruit in you? the first vital sign I want you to look at. The second one is found in the book of 2 Peter, and if you have a copy of God's Word in front of you, I'd highly uh, uh, ask you to go there, to 2 Peter chapter 1. 
Second Peter chapter one, Paul, uh, Peter starts out in uh, verses three and four, and he defines his audience. He said, "His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us to His own glory and excellence." by which he has granted us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Paul sets his audience. He says, if you are a partaker in the divine nature, if you're someone who has escaped the entanglement of sin, I'm talking to you, I'm talking to believers, and this is what I will have you do. Verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. So the question is, are we growing in virtue? And are we growing in the virtues that are godly that he sets out for us? Now the good thing is is that Peter interprets this list for you in verse 8. He says, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, growing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter believes that these things should be increasing in your life. Have you guys ever had a job interview? Not a job interview, a job review, a job evaluation? They're not always fun, right? You go in, you're sitting across from your boss, you have no idea what he's actually going to say. Can you imagine going in for your job evaluation and having them go, Hey, Brian, um, looking here at your chart, you are ineffective and unfruitful. No one wants to hear that. But Peter's saying, believers, if the spirit of the living God is in you and you are not increasing in virtue, you are ineffective and unfruitful in the mission that God has called you to be. He goes on to further say in verse 9, For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. I want you to understand the weight of that verse. Peter is saying if you are in, if Christ is in you and you are not increasing in these things, it is just like you have forgotten the grace that was extended to you. Because how can you believe that Christ died for your sins and set you free for you to stay where you are when he wants to increase you in your faith? That's why he tells us in verse 10, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. That's what we want. That is what our heart for you is this morning, that you will never fall, that when push comes to shove, when things get harder, that you will see that you are truly set on the authentic gospel. And the only way for you to be set on the gospel is to be centered on the person of Christ, to understand that he is over you, he is your Lord, he sets your direction, he charts your course. And he can do that because he is your savior and he gave his life up for you. But he didn't leave you alone. He is now in you. He is giving you every spiritual blessing that you need to do the things he has called you to do. Church, we want to be a people of authentic followers of Christ who are willing to go out and suffer and build his kingdom for his purposes, for his glory, because of what he has done for us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that we would be men and women 
of courage. That we would have the courage to not just come in and play a game, to not just come in and, and say, yeah, yeah, I can fit in here, I can hide here, I can, I can come in and I can check a box here. But that we would be people who say, I want to live passionately and wholeheartedly for God. Lord, I truly believe that you have given us ways, that you've given us methods to, to take our vital signs, to look at what reality is. May we not be afraid to look at our lives, to see areas where we can grow, to see areas where you are winning, to see areas where you are producing fruit. Father, I thank you for the fruit that you are producing in believers in this church, in this city. I pray that you would increase fruit, that we may go out. Your word says that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Father, I pray that we would be people who send a, a church that sends out workers to harvest the field. Lord, for those in here, they, they might get to those lists and say, I, I'm not centered on the person of Christ. I don't, I don't have a relationship with him. I, I've never understood God like that. Father, I pray that people would see Jesus clearly this morning, that life would, lives would be transformed. As we talked about last week, that we'd be transformed from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of the beloved Son. Father, I pray that you would open eyes and open hearts this week. Father, for those of you, for those of us who are in, who are unfruitful and ineffective right now, I pray that we would have a streak of honesty, that we would be willing to leave behind the sin that so easily entangles, that we would cling to the hope of the gospel that we would have, that we would see growth and fruit, that we might be a community that is transforming this world with the gospel of Jesus for his glory and his purpose. It's in his name we pray. Amen.